Chapter Twenty Four of Snowdrift, a story of the land of the strong cold, by James B. Hendricks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Snowdrift by James B. Hendricks. Chapter Twenty Four, The Fight at Cutter Malone's. The porter at Cutter Malone's Klondike Palace was lighting the huge oil lamps as the girl called Kitty sauntered to the bar with her dancing partner, who loudly demanded wine. Cutter Malone himself, standing behind the bar in earnest conversation with Johnny Claw, set out the drinks, and as the girl raised her glass, a man brushed past her. She recognized Zinn one of Malone's despicable lieutenants, and was quick to note that something unusual was in the air. A swift meaning glance passed between Claw and Malone, and as Zinn stepped around the bar to deposit his rifle, he whispered earnestly to the two who stepped close to listen. Unperceived, Kitty managed to edge near, and the next instant she was all attention. For as the detached words that came to her ears, she made out, Ace in the Hole, and The Girl, and then Malone, whose voice carried above the others, issued an order, The Shack Behind the Sawmill. Get him soused, knock him out if you have to, but don't kill him. Once we get the girl here, me and Claw. The rest of the sentence was lost as it blended with an added order of Claw's. Ace in the hole, thought Kitty. What did it mean? And who is the girl? Ace in the hole is dead, and yet... She glanced toward Claw, whose beady eyes were glittering with excitement. He just came back from somewhere. Maybe he knows something. She saw Zinn cross the room and speak in a whisper to four men, who were playing solo at a table near the huge stove. She knew those men, Stumpy Cooley and his three companions. The men nodded and went on with their game, and Zinn returned and resumed his conversation with Malone and Claw. But the girl could hear nothing more. The professor was loudly banging out the notes of the next dance upon the piano, and her partner was pulling at her arm. For two hours Kitty danced, and between dances she drank wine at the bar, and always her eyes were upon the four men at the solo table, and upon Zinn, who loafed close by, and upon Malone and Claw, who she noted were drinking more than usual as they hobnobbed behind the bar. The evening crowd foregathered, the music became faster, the talk louder, the laughter wilder. At the conclusion of a dance, Kitty saw Malone speak to Zinn, who immediately slipped out the door. The four men at the table threw down their cards and sauntered casually from the room and declined the next dance. The girl dashed up the stairway to her room where she kicked off her high-heeled slippers pulled a pair of heavy woolen stockings over her silk ones, and hurriedly laced her moccasins. She jammed a cap over her ears, and slipping into a heavy fur coat, 
stepped out into the hall and came face to face with Johnny Claw. "'Where do you think you're going?' asked the man with a sneer. "'It's none of your business,' snapped the girl. "'I don't have to ask you when I want to go anywhere, and I don't have to tell you where I'm going, either. You haven't got any strings on me.' "'Well, forget it, cause you ain't going nowheres, not right now.' "'Get out of my way, damn you!' cried the girl. "'If I had a gun here, I'd blow your rotten heart out.' "'But you ain't got none, and I have. So it's the other way around. Only I ain't gonna kill you if you do like I say.' "'Listen here. I seen you easin' over and trying to hear what me and Malone and Zinn was talkin' about. I don't know how much you heard, but you heard enough, so you kept pretty close cases on all of us. Go on back in your room for I put you there. What the hell do you care, anyhow? All we want is the girl. Once we get her up in the strong room, you can have Ace in the hole.' and as long as she's around, you ain't nowhere with him. Why don't you use your head? You fool! screamed the girl in a sudden fury, and as she tried to spring past him, Claw's fist caught her squarely in the chin, and without a sound she crashed backward across the door sill. Swiftly the man reached down and dragged her into the room, removed the key from the lock on the inside, closed and locked the door, and thrusting the key into his pocket, turned and walked downstairs. How long she lay there, Kitty did not know. Consciousness returned slowly. She was aware of a dull ache in her head, and after what seemed like a long time, she struggled to her knees and drew herself onto the bed where she lay trying to think what had happened. Faintly, from below, drifted the sound of the piano. So, they were still dancing down there? Then, suddenly, the whole train of events flashed through her brain. She leaped to her feet and staggered groggily to the door. It was locked. In vain, she screamed and beat upon the panels. She rushed to the window, but its double sash of heavily frosted panes nailed tight for the winter, was immovable. In a sudden frenzy of rage, she seized a chair and smashed the glass. The inrush of cold air felt good to her throbbing temples, and wrenching a leg from the chair, she beat away the jagged fragments until only the frame remained. Leaning far out, she looked down. Her room was at the side of the building, near the rear, and she saw that a huge snowdrift had formed where the wind eddied around the corner. Only a moment she hesitated. Then, standing upright on the sill, she leaped far out and landed squarely in the center of the huge drift. Struggling to her feet, she wallowed to the street and ran swiftly through the darkness in the direction of the sawmill. And at that very moment, Zinn was knocking upon the door of the Reeves home. When the door had closed behind Brent, Mrs. Reeves had insisted upon Snowdrift's taking a much-needed rest upon the lounge in the living room, 
and, dispatching Reeves upon an errand to a neighbor's, busied herself in the kitchen. The girl lay back among the pillows, wondering when her lover would return, when the sound of the knock sent her flying to the door. She drew back startled when, instead of Brent, she was confronted by the man they had passed on the river. "'Is there a lady here named a Snowdrift?' asked the man. A sudden premonition of evil shot through the girl's heart. She paled to the lips. Where was Brent? Had something happened? Yes, yes, she answered quickly. I am Snowdrift. What has happened? Why do you want me? It's him, your man, ace in the hole, he answered. Oh, what is it? cried the girl in a frenzy of impatience. Has he been hurt? Well, not just hurt, you might say. He's loadin' up on hooch. Some of us friends of his'n tried to make him go easy, but it ain't no use. I seen you and him comin' in on the river, and I figured maybe you could handle him. We're afraid someone'll rob him when he gets good and drunk. And not more than an hour ago he had given his promise, on the word of a Brent, a promise that Mrs. Reeves had just finished telling her would never be broken. A low sob that ended in a moan trembled upon the girl's lips. "'Wait!' she commanded, and slipping into the room, caught up her cap and parka, and stepping out into the darkness, closed the door noiselessly behind her. "'Take me to him, quickly,' she said. "'Surely he will listen to me.' "'That's what I figured,' answered the man and turning led the way down the dark street. Presently the subdued light that filtered through the frosted windows of the Klondike Palace came into view, and as they reached the place, Zinn led the way to the rear and pushed open a door. Snowdrift found herself in a dimly lighted hallway. Cutter Malone stepped forward with a smile. "'Just a minute, lady.' Better put this here veil over your face. He's upstairs, and we got to go in through the bar. There's a lot of folks in there, and they ain't no use to you being gopped at. With this on, they won't notice but what it's one of the women that lives here. Snowdrift fastened the heavy veil over her face, and, taking her arm, Malone piloted her through the bar room and up the stairs. Through the mesh of the veil, Snowdrift caught a confused vision of many men standing before a long bar, of other men and women in gay colors dancing upon a smooth stretch of floor, and her ears rang with the loud crashing of the piano. Bewildered, confused, she tightened her grasp upon Malone's arm. At the head of the stairs, the man paused and opened a door. "'You can take off the veil now,' he said as he locked the door behind them. "'They ain't no one up here.' A sudden terror possessed the girl, and she glanced swiftly into the man's face. "'But where is he?' "'Oh, he's on up,' he assured her. "'This way.' He led the way across the room known as the small dance hall, and through a passage from which doors opened on either side, 
to a flight of stairs in the rear. At the head of the stairs, the girl could see a light burning. He motioned her to proceed, and as she gained the top, a man stepped out from the shadow and seized her arms. One look into his face, and the girl gave a wild shriek of terror. The man was Johnny Claw. The next moment she found herself thrust into a room lighted only by a single candle. It was a bare, forbidding-looking room, windowless and with a door of thick planking secured by a hasp and padlock upon the outside. Its single article of furniture was a bed. "'So,' leered Claw, "'you thought you could get away from me, did you?' Thought you was playin' hell when you and Ace in the hole hit for Dawson, did you? Well, you played hell all right, but not like you figured. You're mine now. Trembling so that her limbs refused to support her, Snowdrift sank down upon the bed. Oh, where is he? she moaned. Claw laughed. Oh, he's all right, he mocked. He's soused to the guards by this time, and after I and some friends of mine get him to sign a deed to a couple of claims he owns, we'll feed him to the fish. The girl tried to rise, but her muscles refused to obey the dictates of her brain, and she sank back upon the bed. You'll be all right here when you get used to it. The girls all have a lot of fun. I'm going below now. You stay here and think it over. Tain't no use to holler. This room's built a purpose to tame the likes of you in. Some of em that's been in here has walked out, and some of em has been carried out. But none of em has ever got out. And just so you don't take no fool notion to burn the house down, I'll take this candle along. I got a horror of burnin'. Again he laughed harshly, and the next moment Snowdrift found herself in darkness and heard the padlock rattle in the hasp. Kitty drew swiftly into the intense blackness between two lumber piles. She heard the sound of voices coming toward her, and a moment later she could distinguish the words. "'Damn him! He liked to busted my jaw! God, what a wallop he's got!' But I fixed him when I smashed that quart over his head. Maybe he'll bleed to death, ventured another. Nah, he ain't cut bad. I seen the gash over his eye. He's bloody as hell, but he looks worse than he is. Say, you sure you tied him tight? He's been out damn near an hour, and he'll be coming too for long, and believe me... The men passed out of hearing, and Kitty slipped from cover and sped toward the shack, the outline of which she could see beyond the corner of the sawmill. She made sure that all four of the men were together, so she pushed in without hesitation. "'Hello,' she called softly. "'Ace in the hole. You hear?' No answer and she moved further into the room and stumbled over the prostrate form of a man. Swiftly she dropped to her knees and assured herself that his hands and feet were tied. 
Deftly her fingers explored his pockets until they found his knife, and a moment later the thongs that bound him were severed. Her hand rested for a second upon his forehead, and with a low cry she withdrew it, wet and sticky with blood. Leaping to her feet, she procured a handful of snow which she dashed into his face. Again and again she repeated the performance, and then he moved. He muttered feebly and received more snow. Then she bent close to his ear. "'Listen, Ace in the Hole, it's me, Kitty.' "'Kitty,' murmured the man uncertainly. "'Snowdrift.' "'Yes, I lit in a snowdrift all right when I jumped out the window. But how did you know?' come wake up is there a light here where am i in the shack back of the sawmill where's camillo bill camillo bill he's up at stoles i guess but listen give me a match clumsily brent fumbled in his pocket and produced a match Kitty seized it and in the flare of its flame saw a candle upon the table. She held the flame to the wick, and in the flickering light Brent sat up and glanced about him. The air was heavy with the reek of the whiskey from the broken bottle. His head hurt, and he raised his hand and withdrew it, red with blood. Then he leaped unsteadily to his feet. "'Damn him!' he roared. It was a plant. What's their game? I know what it is, cried Kitty. Quick, tell me, have you got a girl here in Dawson? Yes, yes, at Reeves. Her name is Snowdrift, and she... Come then, we ain't got any time to lose. It's Cutter Malone and that damned Johnny Claw. Johnny Claw? cried Brent. Claw is a thousand miles from here, on the copper mine. He's right this minute in the Klondike Palace, and your girl will be there too if you don't shake your legs. They framed this play to get her, and I heard him, partly. If I'd known where she was, I'd have gone there first, but I didn't know. Already Brent was staggering from the room, and Kitty ran close beside him. The cold air revived the man, and he ran steadily when he reached the street. "'Tell me,' panted Kitty at his side. "'This girl, is she straight?' "'I'm going to marry her tonight,' cried the man. "'Then hurry, for Christ's sake,' sobbed Kitty. "'Oh, hurry, hurry!' At a certain street corner, Kitty halted suddenly, and Brent ran on. He rushed into Reeves's house like a whirlwind. "'Where's Snowdrift?' he cried, as the Reeves stared wide-eyed at the blood-soaked apparition. "'What has happened?' "'Where is she?' yelled Brent, his eyes glaring like a madman's. "'I—we don't know. I was in the kitchen, and—' But Brent had dashed from the room, and when Reeves found his hat, the madman had disappeared in the darkness. 
Quite a group of old-timers had foregathered at Stowell's. Moosehide Charlie drifted in, and seeing Camillo Bill, Swiftwater Bill, and old Bettles standing at the bar, he joined them. "'What do you say we start a regular old he-man's game of stud?' he asked. "'We ain't had no real game for quite a while.' Camillo Bill shook his head slowly. "'No, not for me. I'll play a reasonable game. But do you know since Ace in the Hole went plumb to hell the way he'd done over the game, I kind of took a disliking to it. It was the hooch more'n the stud, argued Bettles. Maybe it was, but damn it, it was in both. There was one hombre I liked. Wonder if he'll come back, mused Swiftwater Bill. Sure as hell, affirmed Camillo. Will he have sense enough to lay off the hooch? I don't know, but I got twenty thousand dollars says he will. Camillo Bill looked defiantly around. Take it, cried Swiftwater Bill, and I hope to hell I lose. The door burst open, and Kitty, gasping for breath, hurtled into the room. Camillo Bill, she screamed. Quick, all of you! Hey, you sourdoughs! Her voice rose to a shriek, and men crowded from the tables in the rear. Come on! Ace in the hole needs us! He's back! And he's brought a girl! They're going to be married! But Claw and Cutter Malone framed it to steal her! He's gone down there now! She panted. Come on! They hired a gang to get Ace in the hole, and they damn near did! With a yell, Camillo Bill reached clear over the bar and grabbed one of Stowell's guns, and an instant later, followed by a crowd of lesser lights, the big men of Yukon rushed down the street, led by Kitty and Camillo Bill and Stowell himself, who, another gun in hand, had vaulted the bar without waiting to put on his coat or his cap. "'They'll take her upstairs, way up,' gasped Kitty as she ran. And for God's sake, hurry! Bareheaded, his face covered with blood, a human cyclone burst through the door of the Klondike Palace. Straight for the bar he rushed, bowling men over like tenpins. Cutter Malone flashed one startling glance and reached for his gun, but before he could grasp it, the shape hurtled the bar and the two went to the floor in a crash of glass. Brent's hand first found the gun, and, gripping it by the barrel, he brought it crashing down on Cutter's head. Leaping to his feet, he fired, and the bartender, bung starter in hand, sprawled on top of his employer. Across the room came a rush of men, Stumpy Cooley, Zinn, and others. Again Brent fired, and Zinn crumpled slowly to the floor. Stumpy whirled a chair above his head, and Brent dodged as the missile crashed into the mirror above the back bar. The barroom was a pandemonium of noise. Men crowded in from the dance hall, bent upon overpowering the madman who had interrupted their frolic. Screaming women rushed for the stairs. 
Brent was lifted from his feet and rushed bodily halfway across the room, the very numbers of his assailants protecting him from a hundred blows. Weaving, milling, the crowd surged this way and that, striking at Brent and hitting each other. They surged against the stove, and it crashed upon its side, filling the room with smoke from the toppling pipe and covering the floor with blazing chunks of wood and live coals. Suddenly through the doors swept a whirlwind of human shapes. The surging crowd went down before the onrush, and Brent struggled madly to free himself from the thrashing arms and legs. Revolvers barked, chairs crashed against heads and against other chairs. Roulette and faro layouts were splintered, and poker tables were smashed like kindling wood, men seizing upon the legs for weapons. And above all rose the sound of crashing glass and the shrill shrieks of women. The room filled with choking smoke. Flames ate into the floor and shot up the wooden walls. The door at the head of the stairs opened suddenly, and Brent caught sight of the white face of Claw. He was afraid to shoot, for the frenzied girls, instead of seeking safety in the street, had crowded upon the stairs and were pouring through the door which Claw was vainly trying to close. The smoke sucked upward and the flames crackled more loudly, fanned by the new-formed draft. Struggling through the fighting, surging men, Brent gained the foot of the stairs. He saw Claw raise his gun and the next instant a figure flashed between. The gun roared and the figure crumpled to the floor. It was Kitty. With an oath, Brent sprang up the stairway as the flames roared behind him. He turned for an instant, and as his eyes swept the room, he saw Camillo Bill stoop and gather Kitty into his arms and stagger toward the front door. Other men were helping the wounded from the room. Someone yelled at Brent to come down and save himself. He glanced toward the speaker. It was Bettles and even as he looked the man was forced to retreat before the flames and was lost to view. At the head of the stairs Brent slammed the door shut. The little dance hall was full of girls huddled together, shrieking. Other girls were stumbling from their rooms with their belongings in their arms. From the narrow hallway that led to the rear rushed Claw. The man seemed beside himself with terror. His eyes were wide and staring, and he made for a window, cursing shrilly as he forced his way through the close-packed crowd of girls, striking them, knocking them down, and trampling on them. He did not see Brent, and seizing a chair, drove it through the window. The floor was hot and the air thick with smoke. Claw was about to leap to safety when, like a panther, Brent sprang upon him and bore him to the floor. He reached out swiftly and his fingers buried themselves in the man's throat as they had buried themselves in the captain's. He glared into the terror-wide eyes of the worst man in the North and laughed aloud. An unnatural, maniacal laugh it was 
that chilled the hearts of the cowering girls. "'Kill him!' shrilled one hysterically. "'Kill him! Kill him!' Others took up the cry. Brent threw Claw onto his belly, placed his knees upon the small of his back, locked the fingers of both hands beneath the man's chin, and pulled slowly and steadily upward. Backward came Claw's head as he tore frantically at Brent's arms with his two hands. Upward and backward came the man's head and shoulders, and Brent shortened his leverage by suddenly slipping his forearms, instead of his fingers, beneath Claw's chin. Strangling sounds came gurgling from his throat. Brent leaned backward, adding the weight of his body to the pull of his arms. Claw's back was bent sharply upward, just in front of the knees that held him to the floor, and summoning all his strength, Brent surged backward, straining every muscle of his body until it seemed he could not pull another pound. Suddenly there was a dull, audible snap, and Claw folded backward. Brent released his grip, and leaping to his feet, rushed back through the hallway and up the stairs. A door of thick planking stopped him, and upon a hasp he saw a heavy padlock. Jerking the gun from his belt, he placed the muzzle against the lock and pulled the trigger. There was a deafening explosion, and the padlock flew open and swung upon its staple. Dashing into the room, Brent snatched Snowdrift into his arms and rushed down the stairs. Pausing at the window Claw had smashed, he stood the girl upon her feet, and, knocking the remaining glass from the sash with the butt of the gun, he grabbed one of the screaming girls and pitched her into the big snowdrift that ranged along the whole length of the burning building. It was light as day now, the flames were leaping high above the roof at the front, and already tongues of red were showing around the doorway at the head of the stairs. A great crowd had collected, and at the sight of the girl's form hurtling through the air, they surged to the spot. Spurts of smoke and tiny jet-like flames were finding their way through the cracks of the floor. Brent realized there was no time to lose, and seizing another girl, he pitched her out. Then he took them as they came, big ones and little ones, fully dressed and half-dressed, screaming, fighting, struggling to get away, or to be taken next. He pitched them out until only Snowdrift remained. Lifting her to the window, he told her to jump and watched to see her light safely in the snow. Smoke was pouring through the fast-widening cracks in the floor. Brent leaped to the window sill. As he stood poised, a section of the floor between himself and Claw dropped through, and a rush of flames shot upward. Suddenly he saw Claw's arms thrash wildly. "'My God!' the man shrieked. "'My back's broke. I'm burning up!' The whole floor let go, and a furnace of overpowering flame rushed upward as he jumped, almost into the waiting arms of Camillo Bill. "'It's ace in the hole, all right,' 
yelled the big man, as he grasped Brent's shoulders and rocked him back and forth. And by God, he's as good a man as he ever was. Where's Kitty? asked Brent, when he could get his breath. I saw her go down. She stopped Claw's bullet that was meant for me, and I saw you carry her out. Kitty's all right, whispered Camillo Bill in his ear, and Brent glanced quickly into the man's shining eyes. Just nicked in the shoulder, and, say, I've always wanted her, but she wouldn't have me. But now you're out of the way. I told her all over again how I stood, and damned if she didn't take me. The End End of Chapter 24 Recording by Roger Moline End of Snowdrift, A Story of the Land of the Strong Cold by James B. Hendricks